we are starting a new series today, and it's called A Roundtable on Suffering. Okay, nice light summer topic. Uh, here's where the initial idea to do this came from. Uh, a pastor friend of mine uh, did a, a series on suffering uh, a few years ago, I guess, and he was telling me about how that went. And what he said was, is, you know, they did the series, and then they had like a feedback moment with their staff and, and uh, like with the team that leads the church, and everyone was very complimentary. Wow, great job, pastor. Brilliant exegesis. Very biblical. Good job. Love it. Uh, and then one of, the, one of the members of the team took him aside after that meeting and said, hey, just want to reiterate, amazing job on all that suffering stuff. But we're going to need to at some point balance that out with something a little bit more life-giving was the term they used. And then he was scratching his head going, oh, no, I was hoping that whole thing was going to be life-giving. <laughs> I was hoping that somehow, like, if we've faithfully preached the word, it should be inherently life-giving. It was meant to bring life, and it meant to, you know, bring us closer into relationship with people. And so, hold on a second here. How did we get, how did we preach a bunch of stuff on suffering, and yet the feedback was, this needs to be more life-giving. We've got to balance it out. And so that, this caused me to be thinking, I think this is a common sentiment, because I feel the same way sometimes. We talk about the tough stuff, and then what I want is a break from it, <laughs> And the term that I would actually very readily use, maybe you've used it too, is like, okay, suffering, I get it, it's in there, but then we got to do the life-giving stuff, and let's balance this out. So I kind of thought, I don't like that. I don't like that we're contrasting these two things. I don't think it's a biblical way to contrast it. And so the best thing that we could think to do was, okay, suffering is not an easy thing to talk about. It's, it's a complicated thing. It causes lots of confusion. So we thought we'd set up a round table where we... Uh, how it's going to work is, is that over the next six weeks, we're going to let each author of the epistles in the New Testament, there's six of them, we're going to each let them chime in and give them their moment to speak and tell us how they would address the topic of suffering in this life. And then we'll get a holistic picture of what the New Testament says about it over the course of the next six weeks. But it's kind of set up like a round table. And all that you'll notice that all the different authors of the epistles have a slightly different angle with a common thread that runs throughout it. And so today, we're going to set it up with Paul. Uh, before we do, I just wanted to, just to, to, give, a, just to give an overview. Um, it's possible that my pastor friend did a bad job of preaching about suffering and then got that feedback. I wasn't at the service, right? Maybe, maybe he really needed to be rebuked in that way. But I think it's more likely that we're just really uncomfortable with the idea in general. And we're not sure exactly where to put it because it doesn't make a lot of sense. And the Bible talks about the idea of suffering in this life in extremely uncomfortable and counterintuitive ways. Like I wrote a few of them down. Like it talks about it being joyfully accepted as a privilege. That's strange. It talks about it as, uh, as you know, essential to our walk with Jesus. That's awkward. Freakiest part of all, I think, part of God's will. Like he lets it happen or causes it or lets it, causes it. I don't know. But it's part of his will somehow. Doesn't stop it. So these are confusing, tricky, deep, profound things that we need to wrestle through. Uh, here's what I think happens, and maybe you're like me, is I wake up most days, and I wouldn't think this in my head, and I wouldn't maybe articulate it this way, but the default setting of human nature, at least mine, is you wake up in the morning, and you have a target out there, and it's called 
how do I suffer as little as possible today? I mean, that, that makes sense. We don't set out to go, you know, suffer today. It's not like, and so we have this little default target going, let's suffer as little as possible, because obviously, but let's be realistic. There's, there's, there is suffering in this life that's unavoidable. So if I must, let's make sure it's worth it. Are you resonating with me? Like, let's, let's suffer as little as possible, and the parts that are inevitable, let's make sure it makes sense and that it's worth it and that we're getting more out than we put in. Like, if I go to the gym, I want results. <laughs> you know, if, if I suffer, there's going to be some reward for that. And now I'm okay again. I'm willing to suffer. You know, I'll put in the grind now for the retirement later. Like, we all suffer, but we're making sure it's worth it. And... That's a target that I kind of just have in my heart, and maybe you do too. And until we acknowledge it, it's like, oh yeah, that is how I kind of think about most days. So we're going to let Paul go first uh, and speak to this idea and see what he would say, bringing up this idea of, uh, of suffering. And we're going to start by reading 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. You could put that up there. We'll read this out together. It's a good 10 verses. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, Verses we could have picked from Paul. He talks a lot about suffering. This is a famous one. He says this. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you, meaning us, the author of the letter, and you being the church. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Father, I ask today that you would reveal the truth of your word to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us to understand these things. We need your help. We know that your word is living and active and life-giving and brings life wherever it goes. And so in faith, we stand on this today and ask, and ask you to help us have faith to see what your word says. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's start with what I thought was the most awkward verse in that whole chunk, okay? It's verse 11. You can put that up there. We who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. There's your new evangelistic one-liner, everybody. That's your new invite to church. Given over. Wow. Okay. So you mean all that hard-pressing, perplexity, 
Hushin striking down, that wasn't all just some unfortunate accident? Like I've given over as a very active, non-passive descriptor. Well, no, because what, well, what kind of death are we talking about? It says in verse 10, we carry around the, in our bodies the death of Jesus. That's the kind of death we're talking about. So the death of Jesus, was that an accident? No, that was super on purpose. In fact, the whole Old Testament is leading up to his death and resurrection. Very intentional plan. We did this series last fall where we looked at how it all leads towards Christ. And so this idea that, that Jesus' death was an accident, well, we can pretty much write that one off. In fact, in Isaiah 53, it says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. For what? Our iniquities. Why? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So something about the death of Jesus that we're talking about here is a willful suffering for love's sake. A willful suffering for the sake of love. That's what he did. And the whole Bible is leading up to that moment, the culmination of it. Uh, and Jesus' love... For sure, Jesus' love, and we'll see whether ours or not by the end of the sermon today, but for sure, Jesus' love necessarily involved willful suffering because someone needed to absorb the cost of our sin. Someone had to willfully undertake all of that and bear it to reconcile us. And I think we're pretty comfortable with that idea. If you've been around the church for a while, you're like, okay, I get it. Jesus willfully suffered, super on purpose, for love's sake. And we go, good, good, I'm super glad he did that. And then there's a bit of a gulp moment that happens, you know, I don't know, in the first few months of being a Christian, you start to realize this and go, hold on a second. This isn't just a Jesus thing. He invites us into this same kind of love. And there's this gulp. So it's this aspect of love is not unique to him. There's that famous verse where we're supposed to take up our cross also. All right. Uh, and here's what I... Just, just, to, just to show you in this particular passage how this pertains to the kind of love that we're called to, Paul is addressing his church in verse 12 where he's saying, death is at work in us as we serve you and love you so that life can happen in you. We're being costed for your growth. And we're doing that on purpose. This is Paul admitting that that's what's going on. And he's tasting, he's beginning to walk in this same kind of willful participation in the kind of suffering that comes with love. Already we see this. So here's what happens. If target one out here, target one is suffering as little as possible and then whenever, whenever necessary, make sure it's worth it, right? Scripture comes along and gives us an entirely different one, an entirely different target. And it is receive the love of God freely and then give it away. That's the new bullseye target that scripture is trying to outline for you and I. Freely be received, freely give. And as we do that, we walk in deeper and deeper relationship with God and others, and it's the actual target we're supposed to wake up with every day. Give and receive love. It's very profound. But here's what I do, and maybe you're like me, but I, I super agree with the love God, love others plan. That's very compelling. If, you've, if you've, you've heard a good sermon on this, you're like, that's, man, I love that that's the point of life. I love the point of life is love and relationship. It makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside, doesn't it? Then you start trying to do that, and it begins 
seems to be costly soonish if it's really truly love and really truly for the sake of another talk to the parent of a two-year-old like it's real quick it starts to be costly and so i like this idea of the target over here of what scripture says but i also instinctively have this other target go i gotta suffer as little as possible and when i do it's got to be worth it and i feel a little bit like i have two targets going on and i'm trying to shoot at them at the same time i want to be loving oh but i really don't like suffering <laughs> And the question is, can you pursue a life of love in its fullness and not suffer at the same time? I've been in the church for a while, and it has driven me crazy. And maybe you can identify with me being like, well, which, I, which is it? Is it the love one or is it the not suffer one? Because I really like both of those things. And it just rips you in two because you kind of can't do both at the same time. So, I mean, this, we, we know this intuitively. We know we can't do both at the same time. I think about like, you know, just take marriage as an example. If I said, hey, Steph, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna love you until it hurts. <laughs> it just doesn't. Of course we know that love in its fullness in, involves cost. But it would be crazy for me to say, yeah, I'll love you, it's a super great plan, until it costs me something. They, they're mutually, they're exclusive to one another. So let's be really clear. Target two, the scripture target, isn't you must suffer to show that you're worth it. That's called masochism. And it's just making sure that you feel pain so that, it's, so that it counts. That's not, that's not the goal. The goal is love. And then in behind that, well, there's a whole bunch of, well, yeah, I mean, if, of course, it involves all kinds of things. So that's target two. So for me, this is exactly where the heaviness can set in. This is where it sets in for me. It's hard to argue with a message that calls us to love for the sake of others, but I, don't, I'm, I get tired of love. Like it really hurts sometimes. It's never reciprocated. You get scars, uh, never quite feels commensurate, and you begin to say things in your heart like, this just isn't worth it anymore. <laughs> like, it's just, I'm going to pick target one again. I love target one. Makes so much sense. So, uh, more perplexing yet, what about suffering that's accidental? Like, never mind just the not being reciprocated well kind of love. What about accidental suffering? Like, the onset of a mental illness out of nowhere. Didn't see that coming. What about a senseless tragedy? What about being a genuine faultless victim in a scenario? Like, that's real suffering. And it's just kind of everywhere. And it's unavoidable. Now, I think it's fair to say that suffering... In both cases, whether it's a lack of reciprocation or whether it's something that just doesn't make any sense whatsoever, suffering is just straight up unfair. It's just unfair. Can we agree on that? It just, it doesn't make sense. It never comes back the way that you thought it was going to come back to you. Suffering is really unfair. In fact, it's probably what makes it so painful is it just feels so unjust, so unjust. So whether it's a lack of proper reciprocation or 
a repercussion of this fallen world that we don't understand. Suffering just isn't fair. So let's title bullseye number one, the one we're default, as fairness. I just love fairness. It just makes so much sense. So I think our culture often sounds a lot like this. I'll, 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 I'll suffer, but there better, had, there better be results. There had better be results. Like if I pour my heart out, there's probably, there needs to be something that comes back to me. That's just feels fair. It's just. But I don't know about you, the rewards never quite feel commensurate. Most of the time, loving people is a terrible investment. It doesn't have a good return on investment. You don't get back more than you put in. At least it doesn't feel that way initially. Uh, by the way, I have a solution for you. If you want to be a religious, self-righteous person <clears throat> like me, I've got a super great trick for you. If you've been loving people a lot and it's not coming back to you in the way that you thought it would, like the way that you deserve, which I feel all the time, super pro tip, just judge the people around you. Just think way less of them. And then if you think less of them, then they get to be one of those people that isn't, they're not really great at this. And then I won't expect as much. And now it's fair again. Oh, it works so well, guys. Honestly, you should try it. Just judge people around you that don't feel like you're treating them, that aren't treating you very well. And it feels super fair and just again in my heart. And I'm like, ah, target number one. I love it. What about if something bad happens to you that you can't explain? You can't explain it at all. Well, another pro tip is uh, you could just get really bitter and angry about things that confuse you. Deep, make sure it goes real deep and get bitter and angry. And what that does, I'm, I'm, I'm actually not trying to be sarcastic. It's like, we do this all the time. I do this all the time. You make the world around you pay a little bit. Of course, it doesn't really make sense in the way that you're making them pay. And you're kind of a, maybe a bit of a like garden hose spraying people with anger and bitterness. But at least somebody's paying for something. And it feels better that other people are sad too or something. And bitterness is contagious and anger is contagious. And the, 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 the pain that you feel when it's shared, even if it's unkind to cast it on other people, there's some semblance of fairness that we have again. And I don't blame people when, they, when life throws something at them that's deeply confusing and it makes no sense and they're bitter and angry for some semblance of justice and fairness again. And I go, man, I get that. I get that. That just, just is unfair. It just is. And so, yeah, bitter and anger makes a ton of sense. And it seems like a great solution, a temporary one. It has other repercussions that aren't so nice. But I get why you feel that way. So we have to ask ourselves, friends, over the next six weeks, and we keep asking ourselves this question, why is scripture so confident in the invitation to suffer willingly and to endure it? Why is scripture so adamant that we adopt bullseye number two, a life of giving and receiving love, even when it's unfair, even when it makes no sense? Why? Well, let's keep looking. Verse 16 says this, therefore, we do not lo lose heart. That's really encouraging. We do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Okay, so 
how, we'll get there in a second, but for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Okay, whoa. What this two verses is saying is that Paul is somehow, somehow being renewed, renewed. That's a deeply positive life-giving word, okay? He's being renewed by his life of love, which includes suffering. He's being renewed by it. He's not balancing it out, like the advice in that first story I told. He's being renewed by it. Okay, so I couldn't think of a better example to try to illustrate this, uh, but I'm going to share it anyways. I, 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 what this made me think of was a commercial I saw when I was a teenager, okay? This is so bizarre, but stay with me. <clears throat> uh, the commercial was this teenage boy sitting at his desk, and he had like a science experiment that he looked like he was doing last minute. Like, he had, you know, you've all been there. <laughs> science experiment due tomorrow type of... I forget what the commercial was selling, but I remember what happened in the commercial. And so, do you guys know how <laughs> if you take a cat and you drop it from this high, it always lands feet first, right? Always. It's the law of nature. Also, if you put peanut butter and jelly on a sandwich and you drop it from this high, always lands sticky side down. Right? Of course, law of nature. It's, it never lands. on the. It always lands where it picks up all the dirt in the peanut butter. Obviously, you've all been there. So, in this commercial, the boy's sitting at his desk, and he's got his PB&J sandwich next to him. And his cat hops up onto the desk next to him. And he looks at one, and he looks at the other, and he looks at one. And he takes his cat, and he fastens the PB&J spread side up to the top of the cat, picks it up, drops it, and then it just starts spinning in midair, like faster and faster and faster. Then the light bulbs in his room start exploding, and he's discovered this infinite source of energy. That, uh, and he's a genius. I bet he got an A on the science project. I have no idea what the commercial was about. I just remember that. I was like, oh, that's so clever. And what made me want to try it as a 13-year-old. Here's why, here's why I bring that up. Is I feel like what Paul's trying to get at here is there is an infinite... There is an infinite source of power and energy and ability. If it's true that you could be renewed by love, if it's true that love, even when it's costly and unfair, can renew you, that is a direction towards something that we call actually freedom. It's, fr it's infinite freedom. If it's true, it's infinite freedom. Because now... You get to just do that, and it's, it's <laughs> the act of loving other people is what renews you, though you, can out, though you can waste away outwardly at the exact same time. So this is deeply profound if it's actually true. And so it's worth investigating, because Paul's claims are crazy that we can do that at the same time. It's insane, and I want to know, you should want to know this too, you should want to know if it's possible that love in its fullness renews you. That is a deeply profound life goal. We're going to get to how it affects eternity in a second. But even in this life, wow, that's good news if it's true. So uh, I have to use Leanne as an example. I'm glad you're here today, Leanne. I get to brag on you today. If you've been to Establish, Leanne gets bragged on uh, semi-annually in the Establish course. But uh, I need to refer to her today. Uh, Leanne's fostered. I don't know how many hundred kids. And over the last, you know, 15 years or so, she's had a sibling group of four. 
and uh, treated them as her own. If you're in the foster system and you wind up in one of those homes where the person in charge of that home actually wants to be a parent, you just hit the jackpot. Like, that's not necessarily true of a foster home. But you wind up in a home and they go, hey, I will be as much your parent as you let me. I mean, maybe the kid doesn't see it and maybe they never do, but you hit the jackpot. So this happened to Leanne, so the group of four. And we watched her suffer lots for the sake of love. Suffer lots for the sake of love. And uh, top three things I want to ask Jesus when I get to heaven is why things have ended up the way they've ended up. Top three. For sure. And uh, we've watched, I mean, there's ongoing stories, right? The stories are alive and well, so I don't want to put a cap on things. But if we've watched those kids uh, choose the things they came from, even after the best kind of love they could have ever hoped to receive. And from an outsider's perspective, you can look at something like that and go, that's not fair, it's not just. And if you really let your mind get a little dark, you start to think, was that worth it? You start to think thoughts like that. Why did all of that happen if we're right back to square one? Why? I mean, wouldn't you? I, I've asked myself that question in my heart of hearts, having a bit of a front row seat on the situation. And I heard you say once, you said it off the cuff. I don't even know if you remember saying this. But I heard you say once, I'm so glad I got to love them. You said it actually many times. It's on the tip of your tongue when you talk about the situation. I'm so glad I got to. Okay. Not fair. Not fair situation. Completely unjust, real confusing. Um, no results. <laughs> right? Results in quotes. No results. I'm so glad I got to love them. Is a how do you love without the expectation of a result? You, love can't need results. It would stop being it if it had the, if you needed them. I mean, of course, it, of course it can't. But our hearts are so quickly towards target number one, going, "I want justice that I can see." I want fairness that I can see. Was it all worth it? And yet, you have someone trying to figure out what it means to love in the way that I think this passage is talking about. And results are the furthest thing from somebody's mind who's beginning to capture what the love of the gospel is trying to articulate so desperately throughout the New Testament. So I don't think we were designed to be renewed by fairness, you guys. I really don't. I don't think we were designed to be renewed by fairness. We can be temporarily medicated by fairness, and oh, does it feel great when the world makes sense. But we're talking about being renewed, and I think we were designed to be renewed by love. Renewed by love. Put verse 10 up there. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. So the target two... The target we were actually designed for, you and me, 
regardless of what you think or where you're at or your journey or whatever, you were created with one very specific purpose in mind, and that was to image God. We were created in his image. Now, who is he? He is love. And that would take a 10-sermon series to even try to explain. But he is love. And then our goal, our deepest heart's desire, calling, where we're most complete, is when we image him and when we live lives of love. That's how we're renewed, not because it's like cute and fun and we see results. It's because it's, you were made to be that. You were made to be an image bearer of God. And he loves, and he's longing to reveal the life of Christ through you with the way that you love. So Paul is imploring us. Love is the only thing that can renew you. It was, it was just what you were made to do. And that challenges my target number one. Because you start to realize, whoa, I'd have to start to accept a whole lot of things if that was, if that was target, if that started to creep up the, the, the priority list. So, here's why I think God is so uncomfortable, or so, sorry, here's why I think God is so comfortable with things being so unfair. It's because the love that he has for you is super unfair. <laughs> it's just... Was, was Jesus' sacrifice for you and me fair? No. We have a perfect sacrifice who also happens to be God with you in mind absorbs your sin for the sake of reconciliation to restore your image as a loving creature. That is the most unfair thing that has ever happened in history. God is so comfortable, so comfortable with unfairness He's committed to unfairness. Regardless of your response to him, regardless of humanity's response to him, he's saying over each one of us right now, I'm so glad I got to love you in that way. If you turn your face away, if you spit on him, if you run away, if you think it's no big deal, his answer will still be, I'm so glad I got to love you. Even if no one knew his name on this planet anymore, God would still be pleased with his sacrifice. And Jesus would still say, I'm so glad I got to love you. And he was completely alone. And he was in that moment, by the way, completely abandoned by everybody who loved him. And he, forgive them for they know not what they do. We have been treated very unfairly. So, this is what I think after all this, I think suffering and injustice are allowed to persist in this world because they're like battering rams to my sense of fairness, to my sense of justice. And I would argue that, our, that my sense of fairness is the primary blockage to receiving God's love. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. This is the drum roll moment. If you're going to remember something, suffering isn't fair, neither is love. And love happens to be way more powerful than suffering. Love happens to eclipse all of it. Because, oh, actually, I'm going to get ahead of myself. <clears throat> so, it's not fair. It takes on a whole new meaning when we grab hold of this. And you start to go, Oh, yeah, it's not fair. Whew. I'm so glad it's not fair. 
I'm so glad it's not fair. So how do we live into this? This is what we'll end with. How do we live into this? Verse 18. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What can we see? Fairness. I'm, I'm using the word fairness as our sense of justice, if you'd like another way of understanding that word. I can see fairness. I can see, but it's temporary. It's temporary and it doesn't last. And it hardens your heart. Oh my goodness, you want a quick way of hardening your heart? Pursue fairness in this life. Pursue your own sense of justice. Your heart will solidify in no time because it isn't fair. It just isn't. And if you look, if you look for reciprocation that's commensurate for your level of suffering, your heart will become embittered and you will get tired and you will get resentful. And every sermon about suffering will make you seethe inside again because it will remind you of what doesn't make sense. And when suffering comes at you, and it really has no cause, and it really is inexplainable. You could let your heart harden, and you could let, you could let the remedy be fairness, but you won't find it. And instead, you talk to people who have truly suffered in this life, unexplainably so, like even the tough ones that really have no explanation. They somehow find Jesus there. It's more powerful. Love is more powerful than suffering. He's able to meet you there. That's why we're struck down but not destroyed and perplexed but not abandoned. Because he's trying to help us understand that it's, there's something more powerful going on than your suffering. There's something more worthwhile pursuing than you understanding how it all works. There's something way more profound than fairness, which ultimately leads to your hard heart and the rejection of love and all that's implied. And he's trying to save you from that life. I'm, uh, we promoted the series last week. Just really quick, Julian was up here and she said that this series was coming up. And then someone messaged me this week saying, I'm so excited about that. And I remember going, seriously? I thought it was going to be a bit of a downer when we put round table of suffering on the screen. And this person in our church was so stoked that we were going to talk about this. And I was intrigued. So we decided to have coffee. Because I wanted to know why. Why are you so excited? I think I've... I've I'm going to have an uphill battle to climb here. Like, what? I'm like, pump my tires. Let's go. And this person began to tell me, oh, man, <laughs> like, a lot of stories that make no sense, many of them that weren't their fault, like, at all. And I just heard a long story of, like, tough stuff. And then I asked a question at the end. I says, Tell me why you're not bitter. Tell me. Like, I really want to know. I have not suffered nearly as much as you in my life. And I'm going to go stand up there and, like, only half mean this because, like, I feel like I'm not qualified in any of these things. Tell me. Why aren't you bitter? And what was so interesting is that this person didn't have a clear answer for that. This person said, oh, I got to think. And then after thinking for a second, this person said, 
I guess God's word is just true. And I remember thinking, oh, yeah, like what if it is? <laughs> right? Like, oh, yeah. Like I was expecting, well, here's what I learned and here's the poem I wrote. You know, here's the tattoo I got and it's deeply profound and you should try it too. And my book's coming out next month. No, it was like, yeah, what if God's word's just true? I get, <laughs> this person said, I guess. <laughs> And I'm like, you have no idea how powerful that is, what you just said. You have no idea how you're choosing to believe something that is saving you from bitterness. You're choosing to believe that there's something bigger going on than what you can compute and understand. You're free. You're saved. Very encouraging. So, what is unseen? The reality that you're able to receive an infinite amount of love every day, unfairly, for eternity. That's hard to see, okay? I get it. It's, it's hard to see. And bullseye number one is so palpable and visceral, and you can touch it almost. And bullseye number two is just mined out from engaging with God's word and his people and with him, and it and it becomes this reality to you where it's like it becomes more real. And Paul is saying, fix your eyes on it because it's going to last. A heart that is devoted to me in love and learns how to be my image by, by, by being empowered by me, you know, to look like me, that, th that lasts forever. Fix your eyes on that. Don't try to understand. Fix your eyes on what is eternal. So, last verse we'll look at. We know, verse 14, we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. Because one day, one day, it will all be just. One day, it'll all be fair. <laughs> God will be in charge. And then we won't be distracted from love with our own sense of justice. It'll be, it'll be just. It'll be fair. That's what's coming. That's the future. That's what we're hopefully expecting. But right now, until then, God is ruling a broken world that gets to choose him out of love. He is ruling a broken world in the best possible way that allows love to be your heart's cry again. He's ruling it in the best possible way that allows love to become your heart's cry again, what you're renewed by again. And it makes no sense to this world on purpose. Dethrone, my friends, dethrone your sense of justice and fairness so that you can fix your eyes on something that has won, is continuing to win, and will win that lasts forever. Without that, we don't have any hope in the gospel. And you see how practical the gospel is, how it shapes our lives every day. Bullseye number two is right there. And I'm learning, and you can help me learn, and we can help each other learn, how when suffering comes, we choose to be reminded that it's once again dethroning me as the center of my universe, and it puts someone much more worthy back in the middle and I fix my eyes on him and go, I don't get it, but you do. You're in charge. 
And my friends, he sets us free and he leads us into life of love and he reconciles relationships. And sometimes things don't get answered, but they don't have to because love is so much more profound than when things make sense. I don't know, have you ever been loved before? It's super confusing. Like truly loved. You ever been known and loved at the same time? It makes no sense, and I'm, it, it shouldn't. <sighs> like honestly, my friends, I know I've said this sentence many times because it matters a lot to me personally, but have you ever been known and loved at the same time? It changes you. And your first thought is you want to hide because it doesn't make sense. And so my friends, my prayer for us is that over the next six weeks, as we look at more perspectives, other people, other, the other authors have other things to say. Peter goes, it's the most purposeful thing you can do. And Jude says, you got to persevere in it. And then James says, it makes you mature, stick it out. Like they're all trying to chime in going, it's so great. It's so great. But we started with Paul because he just talks about love whenever he gets a chance. And this is going to frame our series of going, okay, I know Jesus is the most loving. And we're going to fix our eyes on him. And we're going to filter all of these next messages through that fact. And I think he's going to set us free. He's going to help us find him in suffering. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. And then we're going to respond in worship with some more hymns, I hope. Father, I thank you so much for treating us so unfairly. I thank you for coming and going first. Lord, I thank you that the love that we extend, even when it's painful, was from you first. You haven't asked us to drum anything up on our own. You've asked us to follow you. You've asked us to model our lives after you. So Father, right now I pray that there's any heaviness in this room, that what we would do is we would fix our eyes on you and we would be reminded of the salvation that is a free gift to each one of us right now. Lord, may we start with nothing else let us not walk out of this building deciding to go endure more pain for some reason. No, Lord, give us a glimpse again of your love, of what you've done for us first. Thank you for your mercy, Lord. Thank you for setting us free. And right now, we just dethrone ourselves as the leader of our lives. And we put you in the middle and go, we're going to grab hold of your hand. Lord, your word is true. Your word is true, and we hold on to it like a, like a life preserver in a storm. Thank you that we have you. Thank you that we have you. Otherwise, it makes no sense, and our hearts get so hard. Thank you that we have you. Soften our hearts here again today to receive your love. In Jesus' name we pray.